morning. Thank you. My name is Christina Saba. The scripture passage today comes from the 20th chapter of John. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciple set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet, they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, Tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went, and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. Happy Easter. Good to see you all here this morning. Uh, it's been a an amazing week here at Church of the Palms. We, uh, last Sunday, we not only paraded into the Holy City with, with Jesus, but we also paraded into the Palm Center in the evening and had our grand opening, and that was a lot of fun. Everybody had a great time of uh, recreation and celebration. And then we, of course, have taken our journey through Holy Week, where we had Monday, Thursday, and our time at the table on Good Friday, our time at the cross. And then this morning, uh, we had a sunrise service on the beach, and our contemporary worship team was there. Uh, and let's give them a big round of applause. They have just done such, 
We are so blessed uh, to have these great, great folks. And, um, and then on top of it, Michigan wins. I mean, hello. I mean, I mean, talk about a great week. Anyway, so we, here we are. And we have just heard this wonderful story of the gospel. Um, the story above all the other stories, right? The one that makes all the other stories come together, which is the story of the resurrection. So let's, uh, let's pray and ask God to help us to glean from his word what he wishes us to know. Lord, we thank you for this chance to be together. We are just so grateful, Lord, that we get to have Easter in this world. The world would want us to maybe just dwell on the bad news. But we get Easter, <clears throat> and we get to walk with Mary in the garden and see Jesus again and to be reminded that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So help us in these moments to claim that for ourselves, for we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. So I want to take you back to a time when you were young, and I want you to think of a time when you watched for the first time the movie The Wizard of Oz. Some of you uh, maybe saw it when it came out in the theater in 1939. But most of us got to see it when it had its annual airing, hear that annual airing on television. The family gathered in the family room, watched it on the old black and white TV set, I date myself. But I want you to think about watching this story as a child and what you felt about Dorothy and Toto and their journey to the Emerald City with the Scarecrow, the Tin Man, and the Cowardly Lion. All along the yellow brick road, this merry band of travelers are picking up signs that the land of Oz was not all peaches and cream. There were lions and tigers and bears, oh my. There were fields of sleep-inducing poppies. There were mean apple-throwing trees. There were flying monkeys. Oh, I hated those flying monkeys. And of course, there was the Wicked Witch of the West. So the closer Dorothy got to the Emerald City, the more she knew that she was not in Kansas anymore. And then, and then finally, she and her gang get what they've been traveling for. They get an audience with the wizard. Down the long corridor they go, and they are brought before the Wizard of Oz, this mean-looking 3D hologram figure who speaks out of the fire and the smoke. And he's, and he's quite terrifying, and he has nothing good to say to Dorothy, He just who just wants to find her way home, and the wizard can't be bothered unless, of course, Dorothy is able to somehow produce for him the flying broom of the Wicked Witch. And so it's at this point, as the hourglass sands dwindle, that all appears lost, an uncompassionate wizard, a wicked witch, a whole kingdom that appears to be in their clutches. And who is this pig-tailed girl from Kansas and her bumbling entourage in the face of such wickedness and terror? Now, what we don't know when we first watch this movie, when we first watch this movie as children, and what the, what the cast of characters don't know, Dorothy and the gang, is that the wickedness and the terror is not really what it appears to be. The green old witch, as nasty as she is, can't quite get her hands on those ruby slippers. And on top of it, she's got a weakness for water, and just a bucket full is enough to melt her to the ground. The mean old wizard is just some old guy behind the curtain who's pulling a bunch of levers. And at the end of it all, that as bad as Dorothy wanted to go home, she discovers that she's had the power all along. Just click three times those ruby slippers and you're on your way back to Kansas. They had been fooled all along not to see things as they really are. The witch was not as dangerous. The wizard wasn't a wizard after all. And the way to go home was always right there at her feet. 
Don't you wonder if one of the reasons why The Wizard of Oz remains such a timeless classic is that deep down somewhere, not only does it tap into our longing to go home, but maybe, just maybe, it calls into question how we are seeing the world. Lord knows we've got lots of things in this world that we have managed to get ourselves afraid of, all sorts of wizards and witches that are poised to do us in, evil forces conspire to rid us of our hearts, our brains, our courage. One half hour with cable news and you can get convinced the battle is all lost. Like the story I've told some of you about the man who had come to the end of his rope and he couldn't see anything good in the world, so he walked out into the middle of the Brooklyn Bridge and climbed up under the parapet and was about to leap into the East River when a policeman laid an arresting hand on him and drew him back. And the man protested to the policeman, you don't understand how miserable my life is and how hopeless the world is. Please let me jump. The kind-hearted officer tried to talk sense into the man and finally said, I'll make you a proposition. I'll give you five minutes and you give me, uh, you give me five minutes and I'll give you the reasons for why life is worth living and, and I'll give you five minutes and you give me the reasons for why it's not worth living. And in the end, after 10 minutes, if you still feel like jumping, I won't stop you. So the man agreed and the policeman, the man decided to take his first turn and he explained why life was not worth living and then the officer took his five minutes and explained to him why life was worth living both for them, but for both of them. And at the end of the 10 minutes, the two men joined hands and jumped off the bridge. <laughs> the world can fool us. The world can fool us, not only and rob us of our hope, but also to make us think that, that life is in some of this, this unrelenting grip of a less than sympathetic power. That's just the way the world is, we say. Doggy dog, you gotta scratch your way to the top. Only the strong survive. Nice guys finish last. No such thing as a free lunch. Buck up, things could be worse. So I bucked up, things got worse. The wicked witch is in control. The wizard's never gonna give us what we want. And so what do we do? We, we cower. We play the game by the way we think they want us to play the game. We hedge our bets. We fly under the radar. We go into hiding. We assume that the Wicked Witch is the only game in town. And we play it safe. Or worse, worse, we give up. We give up on ourselves. We give up on the real meaning of our lives, on the real purpose of our lives, on the real calling of our lives, because we think that life has to be lived according to some other apparent powers that be. In World War II, when Germany marched across Europe and nation after nation fell to its advance, the once free world divided into two camps. There were those who capitulated to the foreign power. The Vichy government in France, for example, surrendered themselves to becoming an army of the invaders. If you can't beat them, join them, they said. And on the other hand, there was the resistance. And the resistance lived with the hope that freedom and democracy and goodness and even God still ruled the day. They would not be fooled into thinking the battle was over. And so on this Easter, April Fool's Day, it's worth asking, is there the chance that we are getting fooled, that, that things are not what they appear to be, that life does not have to be lived the way we've been told it has to be lived, that there is another way to go about our lives. You know, stay on the merry-go-round long enough, you think that the only way to go is in circles. It makes me think of the story of the American businessman 
who was standing at the pier of a small coastal village in Mexico when a small boat with just one fisherman docked, and inside the small boat were several large yellowfin tuna. And the American complimented the fisherman on the quality of fish he had just caught and asked how long it took to catch them. The fisherman replied, it just took a little while. And the American asked, well, why didn't he stay out longer and catch more fish? Fisherman said, oh, you know, he had enough to support his family's needs. The American then asked, well, what do you do with the rest of your time? And the fisherman said, well, you know, I sleep, lay, fish a little, play with my children, take siesta with my wife, stroll into the village each evening, have a little sip of wine, play guitar with my amigos. I have a full life, senor. The American scoffed. Listen, he said, I'm a Wharton MBA. I could help you. You should spend more time fishing. And with the proceeds, buy a bigger boat. And with the proceeds from the bigger boat, you could buy several boats. Eventually, you would have a fleet of fishing boats. Instead of selling your catch to a middleman, you would sell directly to the processor, eventually opening up your own cannery. You would control the product, the processing, and the distribution. You would need to leave the small coastal village and move to Mexico City, then L.A., and eventually New York City, where you will run your expanding enterprise. And the fisherman asked, well, how long will this take? To which the American replied, oh, you know, maybe 15, 20 years. But, but, but what then? The fisherman asked. Well, the American laughed said, well, that's the best part. When the time is right, you would announce an IPO, sell your company stock to the public, become very rich. You'd make billions, billions, said the fisherman. Then what? And the American said, well, then you retire. You'd move to a small coastal village where you would sleep late, fish a little, play with your kids, and take siesta with your wife. Who is fooling who? Don't you wonder on this Easter Sunday if when Jesus walks out of that tomb and appears to Mary... And she can't bring herself to believe that this could be Jesus. Don't you wonder if Jesus is here to say to Mary and to you and me that the wicked witch is dead and the Emerald City is in good hands? Don't you wonder when we come to terms with the fact that that tomb can't hold the rabbi from Nazareth, that there is this force at work in the world that has the power to give us back our hearts, our brains, and our courage. Don't you wonder if when we fall at his feet and hear his voice, we are on the verge of having our eyes open to see the world as not as it appears to be, but as it really is. Remember Cervantes' great character, Don Quixote, who sets himself to this mission to bring chivalry and gallantry back to the world, and along with his sidekick. Sancho Panza, they travel the Spanish countryside and seeking to rescue the world from its loss of adventure. And when the world wants to give him up as mad, he says, oh, when life itself seems lunatic, who knows where madness lies? Perhaps to be too practical is madness. To surrender dreams is madness. Too much sanity may be madness. And maddest of all, to see life as it is and not as it should be. You see, Resurrection Day is not just a day to remind us that death doesn't have have the last word, Resurrection Day is the day to tell us that death doesn't even have the first word. And don't you wonder sometimes if we don't often, too often let death have the first word in our lives. And what I mean by that is we, we just live this life of hedge bets, getting fooled into thinking that the finish line is when you turn 65 or 75 or 95. What would it look like if we lived our lives like they were ne we were never going to die? What if this life, in the words of C.S. Lewis, were just the cover page? What if we were playing for eternity? 
What if we were not getting fooled into thinking that life just had to be about tomorrow or the next week or the next year? The tragedy of life is not death, Norman Cousins said. The tragedy of life is not death, but what we let die inside while we live. You know, when you play the day for eternity, eternity gets put into the day. When you fight the battle, knowing that the war is already run, you attack the enemy with greater confidence. So when Jesus says, don't worry about your life and don't be anxious for tomorrow, he's not just giving us a bunch of wishful thinking. He's already gone ahead, and he knows the ending. Maybe that's what Martin Luther King had in mind and that made him not worry about that eventual assassin's bullet on Wednesday of this week. We'll remember the 50th anniversary of his death, but maybe what we remember most is what he kept alive inside of him. That the arc of history, he said, is always bending toward justice. The arc of history, dare I add, is always bending toward resurrection. Remember that great line in Shakespeare's Henry V at the end of the great battle of Agincourt? Henry V surveys the battlefield, having fought one of the most valiant battles of the English against the French. And at the, at the end, a French emissary rides up on a stallion, and, and Henry does not know how the battle was gone. And he says to the emissary, how goes the day? And the emissary replies, the day is yours. The day is yours. It's what Jesus says to us in the garden. It's what Jesus says to Mary in the garden outside of Jerusalem as he walks along the tombs. He says to Mary, he says to us, the day is yours. The arc of history is bending toward resurrection. What if you lived your life like you were never going to die? What if you lived your life knowing that a handful of water from the baptismal font melts the wicked witch? What if you lived your life knowing that the only wizard in town is the one who walks from the tomb and is here to take us home? What if you realize that you're the one wearing the ruby slippers? What if you got your heart back and your brain back and your courage back? Well, there's no telling. There is no telling how good your story is going to be. Let's pray. We thank you, O Lord, that you love us. We thank you that you are the one who walks out of the tomb, and you're the one who has the power and the love and the grace. If we would just open our eyes and see you and know that you don't walk just on Easter Day, you walk every day alongside of us. You're the one who gives us the power and the courage. You're the one who conquers the wicked witch. You're the one who allows us to see life not as it appears to be, but as it really is. So, Lord, give us your Holy Spirit that we may be your people of life and victory. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.